Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello, and welcome back again to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I am back with Yusip Reune. What's up? Hey, Toby. All good here. Uh, I'm on a project, and I, I think it's a never-ending project, one of those, uh, to optimize my home office. And I read somewhere that, that when you start working remotely, like really work remotely, it's not like a one-time one uh, thing you do over the weekend, but it's a continuous iterative process. So uh, the, the big thing I've, I've been doing now recently is I've spent a couple of weeks trying to find a suitable electric desk. So I built an IKEA thing at home, the desk, but it's static. And I figured this is optimal for me. But turns out that after six months of not really standing while working is not good for your back or your hamstrings. So I spent a couple of weeks going through the options. And one of my, my journeys also is to get rid of any IKEA things in my life. Not because I have anything against IKEA, but certain things I'd like to be a bit more long-lasting, if you will. So long story short again, uh, I went through all the, the vendors, the importers, the web shops who sell electric desks. I couldn't really find anything because my my requirement is that it has to be two meters wide so that it can fit all my future monitors as well. And, <laughs> and all the IoT devices. Yes, all of those as well. <laughs> and yesterday I was having my lunch break at home and I found a really interesting looking importer and, and they sort of sell these premium electric desks as well. And I checked the address, it's two blocks from my home. So I hop in my car, I drive there, they are open, they have a showroom. I go and see, yeah, this is exactly what I was looking for. The specs are great. The price was, was, was really something I was expecting it to be. So not super cheap, but not insanely expensive. There's a sales guy readily helping me out. Five minutes later, I'm the owner of a new electric desk. And today, this morning, they called, yeah, we can bring it for you and we can also assemble it for you. So well, there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm positively surprised. The service level was great. The availability was there. No six-week waiting. And the product was something I, I really felt that this is what I would have chosen if I would have found this online. So that's what's up for me. One small step forward on my never-ending project. How about for you? Yeah, it is a never-ending project. I, I do that as well. I think in the previous episode that we recorded, I, I mentioned that I redecorated a bit and then reshoveled my furniture again, um, you know, because I spent now pretty much seven years working from home. So it, you, you've got to shape things up every now and then, otherwise it goes too static. So on my end, um, I have not been doing anything with the office. I have been implementing a secure software development lifecycle which is pretty fun. Um, so I've always had a keen interest in security, application security, and uh, well, perimeter security for, for cloud operations. And in my early days, before I started as a professional consultant back in the day, um, I may or may not have uh, been very interested in, in figuring, and figuring out how to uh, exploit some systems 
um, you know, for fun, because back then we had these challenges and land parties where you could, someone set up a lab and like the challenge was to break into the server. So that was pretty fun. Now we kind of get to do that as professionals uh, as part of the SDLC process. So um, part of my job right now is getting us to up to speed with a good SDLC or secure software development lifecycle, which also includes uh, static testing for vulnerabilities and, and secure code exploits, but then also the dynamic testing part where you can do penetration testing and, and launch attacks against the applications we're building. So it brings back a lot of fun memories and I really like this, but it's also extremely scary um, because what happens if you do find something? You better find it as early as possible in your process. You don't find it after you're running in production, right? So that's kind of why we're implementing these processes and being more thorough with it. So very fun um, supporting our DevSecOps process. And I don't know, this it just brings back so many memories from past times, um, but now we get to do it as professionals. So it's pretty fun. So that's what's on my plate. So you mentioned LAN parties and that brings really great memories. And now while I recall, I actually jotted this down on my notes, uh, somebody posed a challenge for you and me on Twitter that we need to do an online LAN party with Unreal Tournament Game of the Year edition. I think, that, I think that was a week ago. So I need to go and buy the game. Then I need to sort of figure out how to play it again. And maybe after six months when I'm good enough, we can then play. You know, this is, let's scrap this entire episode and just talk on real tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I played a lot back in the day. And I, to everyone tuning in, I hereby challenge you to Unreal Tournament, Game of the Year edition, not from 99. I will own you. And I'm, I'm saying that without being humble at all and realize I might get my behind kicked, but it would be fun to set up a LAN party and, and uh, take a couple of rounds. We will definitely do that at some point. So that's the real Toby talking here, that he's confident he can beat anybody in Unreal Tournament. Oh, yikes. Alrighty, so today's episode is News in September 2020, Part 1. So this is one of the new approaches we started doing in August uh, on recapping the new announcements on Azure and try to be as efficient on this as possible. So bear with us because we have a lot of new announcements from September. So let me start with one. Uh, improvements to Azure Monitor metric alerts. This is super specific and it has a lot of tiny improvements if you fiddle with Azure Monitor and you create alerts that are of the type metric. Uh, and I'm not going to read out all of the 12 or so tweaks that have been added in here, but I'm highlighting a few of these. One is the quota has been increased to 5,000. So now you can have 5,000 metric alert rules per subscription. So if you were struggling with just 5,000, or let's say 4,000, now it's up to 5,000. That's good. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but the interesting thing is that you can also do metric alerts on virtual machine network metrics. So inbound, outbound traffic, if it exceeds some, some limit, you can now have an alert. So this is something I've sort of needed uh, some time ago, so I'm happy it's there now. 
The other one, two partial in enhancements to Azure Monitor metric alerts. One is uh, a commandlet called add az metric alert rule version two. I, I love these commandlet names. Uh, it now supports the action group ID. So you can actually add a new metric alert rule and specify which action group that will be part of. So you don't have to go to the portal to modify that. And the other one is that you can also use PowerShell with a commandlet. I think this is a new one, add AZ web test alert rule. And it allows you to create a metric alert rule that monitors application insights availability tests. And this is something I will implement tonight. So I'm pinging a bunch of websites with app insight availability. And now I can use PowerShell to set the rule that if it takes too long or if something else is happening, then do X. So now you can do automation to build your metric alert rules. But we'll have the links for all of the details in the show notes. Yeah, I, I really like that final bit because um, I, I use the availability test a lot, but not to the extent that I need to automate everything, but I can see the use case for that. And, and I think this is a welcome change. Uh, one thing that I noticed that also recently came out is the Azure Cache for Redis, which now have a Visual Studio Code extension. And if you work with the cache, uh, you know that you can run the command line to access the cache and set the cache and read the cache and stuff like that. But to make it even easier, the extension out for VS Code allows you to go in into the, um, or into the cache from Visual Studio Code to explore it, to set it, to, to view it, so you can actually see what's going on. So if you have a dev subscription set up uh, and things are running in, uh, in Azure Redis, then from Visual Studio Code, from inside the tool, you can actually get, uh, get to the data. So you don't have to run the command line. So it's a very small update, uh, but this extension is pretty cool. So if you're working with distributed caching and, and the Redis cache for Azure, then uh, the show notes also have the links to uh, that announcement. All right, let me get the next one. This is something I know very little about. Azure Spring Cloud is now generally available. So Azure Spring Cloud, my understanding of this is that it allows you to run Java applications in Azure of a certain type. And I'm sure somebody listening in on this and who might know more about Java might be ecstatic about this. It's generally available that you can run Java apps in Azure Spring Cloud. And perhaps I need to look more up on this, but I have very little need on Java. But perhaps this is interesting. So what's next? <laughs> so just a, a side note there. The first time I was introduced to Java was when I started uh, the university and in, in my first, first week of the first year. And this is after I've been programming for 10 or 15 years. Uh, they introduced me to Java. And the last time I was exposed to Java was at the university. So I, I don't know to what extent people are running this in, in Azure specifically, but, but if you are, then this is a good update. Um, so another, another thing that I saw is um, I've been running a lot of containers and AKS just uh, made an announcement that there is a privilege escalation uh, bug with the CVE 2020-8559. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. And this is a vulnerability that was um, uh, exposed in, in AKS and 
Um, the question is, am I affected? So according to the statement, and this is good news, you're only affected by this vulnerability if you treat the node as a security boundary, since clusters in AKS do not share certificate authorities and authentication credentials. Now the question is, do I need to mitigate that? Um, and the statement again, the official statement is, AKS will patch the control planes of its GA versions automatically, and they, they've been doing this always. So if you're on the AKS GA version, no action is required because that's already patched. If you're not on the AKS GA version, you should upgrade, and that's a manual process. Uh, we'll put the links in the show notes to that as well. But uh, if you're on the managed edition of AKS on the GA edition, you don't need to do anything. If you're not, you need to look into this because this is a CVE bug or a CVE vulnerability that has been exposed. So take a look at that. That was awfully specific. Um, and I promise I'm not going to spend tonight looking looking after that <laughs> update. Uh, another one, uh, two new Azure VM, uh, how do you say, two new options for Azure VMs in the D and E families. So there's going to be a D version four and E version four available. And these are general purpose and memory intensive VMs. So the D is uh, memory intensive. No, the D is general purpose and the E is memory intensive. I need to be clear on this. And what's new in there? They both use an Intel Xeon Platinum A272CL custom processor. And I know Intel Xeon, of course, but the custom processor caught my eye. So there's something fancy about it. And it clocks up to 3.4 gigahertz. But the important bit here is that neither of these, so the D version 4 and the E version 4, neither of these have temp storage. So you do not have the D drive. If you like that, you have to go with DD version 4 and ED version 4 for temp storage. And what's great about this is that you get the combination of, of V cores and memory. And they go up to 504 gigs of RAM and up to 64 V cores. So really optimized for memory intensive workloads and also for the general purpose. If you just need enough performance, now you have the Xeon in there to help you out. Yeah, talking about specifics. <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty interesting update as well. I, I like how they push out new functionality to all the VMs and there's new sizes and new cap uh, capabilities. And with the, the flick of a button, you can say, I want to make use of that. And voila, your VM is upgrade, which is pretty cool. Um, another thing that I was eyeballing is um, Azure Durable Functions version 2.3 has been released. That comes with a couple of new feature enhancements. And uh, there are some new partition management features. You have long running durable timers, which previously were limited to six days and that restriction has been removed. Um, you have additional traces with the task event ID. So you can now distinguish multiple activity function calls in the same orchestration, which is pretty good. So if you're digesting a lot of logs and traces, this is helpful. Uh, if you're running in the government cloud, you can now also use the managed identity in durable HTTP. So the default Azure credential options is added to the managed identity token source. So very specific, if you're a developer, you might understand uh, what this means. And specifically, this has been added now for the government cloud with the support there as well. 
Um, and then logging from durable task framework allows you to capture lower level logs. So you can get more details uh, if you use the, uh, uh, the durable task framework. Uh, on top of that, there's several bug fixes that they have rolled out as part of that release. Um, we'll put that, of course, as well in the show notes with a link to the release notes uh, and the bug fixes and also new capabilities and general dependency upgrades. As with any new version of anything, um, most of the time you upgrade the uh, dependencies as well or the, the dependent versions. So if you upgrade to the Durable Functions version 2.3, the dependencies of that has also been upgraded in some extent. So the, the show notes will give you all the insights that you need if you're using Durable Functions and you want to upgrade. The thing you mentioned uh, on some of these updates being awfully specific, eight, nine years ago when we got an update to Azure, it was something like, Azure App Service is available now. It was something wholly new that you'd, you would have to learn. And oftentimes now, especially now leading up to Ignite 2020, which is late September, uh, we're sort of getting these smaller updates and perhaps, or I hope, we'll get the larger updates during the large events. So uh, two things next, and these both uh, are part of the data platform. The first one is that in public preview, we have the automated deployment of always on availability groups through the Azure portal. So if you run SQL Server in a virtual machine setup, you can now use an ARM template to deploy the always on availability groups to have more resiliency and scalability uh, as part of those VMs. That's one. The second one is that you can now manually do a failover in Azure SQL managed instance, and that's generally available. So this is a PowerShell uh, commandlet or a set of commandlets that allow you to do end-to-end -end testing. How is our application going to behave if we enforce uh, a failover? So we mimic a fail and, and we do a failover from one Azure SQL managed instance to another one. And then we can test how that's actually going to work out. That's, that's actually pretty interesting because in the, back in the day we had workarounds for doing that because we couldn't, like as a user, I couldn't initiate a, a manual failover and say, now I want to crash this thing. Um, but I like that because supporting the end-to-end -end scenario is important and we had to have workarounds where we kind of forcefully had to make the, the cluster fail for some reason and then see that the failover works. Now we can make it by design. I really like that. Yeah, and, and way back in the day, we would just, you know, uh, remove the Ethernet cable from one of the SQL nodes to see if it fails. <laughs> yeah, that, that also works. Um, another side on the dev, uh, dev side of things is the Cosmos DB. So if you use Cosmos for anything and more specifically the, the Cosmos for SQL, uh, the Cosmos DB.NET SDK's uh, version one point something is set to require, uh, retire in 2022. So there's still some time to go. Uh, but if you're working on large projects or projects that are hard to maintain or upgrade for some reason, it might be a good idea to start looking at it now. And you can either upgrade to two point something, and that means it's still on .NET Core, and that requires minimal code change, or you can upgrade to three point something, which is based on .NET Standard. And I've been using the, the latter one, three point something, and that works really well, but I have not used it in extremely large enterprise applications at this point. 
so I don't know exactly what that means. But I like how proactive Microsoft is here, reaching out two years ahead of the retirement and saying, look, this is going to be unsupported with no new updates coming. Um, you might want to look into the, the latest upgrades. And then in the show notes, we'll, of course, put a link, as always, and there's instructions for how to upgrade and how to get up and running with the latest version of the SDKs for .NET. Cool. Uh, I have two small ones, or the other one is, is perhaps a bit larger one, but the smaller one is Azure Cache for Redis Visual Studio Code extension is now in preview. So if you work with Redis on Azure, you often then perhaps implement something uh, which implies you might be using Visual Studio Code, and now there's an extension to manage and, and troubleshoot Redis to Visual Studio Code. And I'm a heavy Visual Studio user, and occasionally I use Visual Studio Code, and I'm happy that we have so many extensions now that are fairly quick to deploy and, and integrate as part of your mental workload. The other one is visualize and manage your AWS costs in Azure cost management. So it was perhaps, what, three, four years ago since we got the, uh, the Cloudin uh, cost management solution that Microsoft acquired. Then that became Azure cost management. And with Cloudin, we already had AWS cost management. And now the visualization and management of those costs from AWS are part of Azure cost management. Uh, and this is available since September 1st. So should you have this multi-cloud approach, now you can visualize your costs from AWS as part of Azure cost management. And I think the, the final thing that I have today on my mind is I noticed some security center updates that they rolled out uh, mid or late August that we didn't have time to talk about. And, uh, it's an important one because anything, of course, in Azure Security Center is important. And there's a new recommendation saying service principles should not um, should be used to protect your subscription instead of management certificates. And management certificates is something that we used a lot way back when, um, and especially in the beginning when Azure was still growing and a couple of years back, that was the only way to do certain things. Today, I would avoid that at all costs unless there is an extremely clear benefit in using that. Um, so there, there's a new recommendation now coming out in the security center as well. So if you don't know whether or not you're using it, you will see that in security center where it's gonna tell you you're using a management certificate. You should not do that. You should do this instead and this is reasoning. So I, I like that. More proactiveness with uh, how we handle credentials and access restrictions and authentication, authorization, all these things are super important today. I, I feel whenever we get an update to anything authentication or authorization related or anything with, with security center, it always sort of changes something drastically. So you might have built something using a previous method that was a recommendation. Now there's something else. And I, I feel this is one of the areas in Azure where you really need to be awake and, and follow up on what's happening and keep updating your solutions. Alrighty, I think this was all. This was quite a bit of perhaps mostly smaller updates, but some of those really, really useful and beneficial. We'll add all of the links to the show notes. Uh, thanks for tuning in and until next time. See you then.
Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.